passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, again, welcome to Crosswinds. We are excited that you are here with us this morning. Hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is probably one of my favorite holidays. Uh, It's a great holiday because it forces us to do something that our culture is admittedly pretty bad at, and that is to be grateful, to be thankful. There's one thing that our culture probably needs to improve on. It is to cultivate gratitude within each and every one of us. We have a tendency to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have and what has been done for us. And I'm so thankful that each year we get a day set aside to be intentional about pausing and thinking about what we have to be thankful for. You see, Thanksgiving is a day just for that, to remember, to look at the past and to remember what we have and what has been done for us and to respond with thanksgiving. Reality is, I think that remembering is a vital part of who we are today. In fact, I I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I think that remembering is one of the most important things that we can do for our faith. Let me explain that. In her book, Gospel Amnesia, a woman named Luma Sims points out that we have a tendency to just forget the gospel. We have a tendency to forget the good news of what God has done for us because of our sinful nature. She lists three different ways that we can forget what God has done for us. First, she mentions that we have a tendency to be distracted. In a way, we're a lot like my son Silas. Silas is probably the easiest person in the world to distract. He's focused on one thing and then you squeeze a toy and he's focused now on something else. Distraction comes naturally for him. It's actually kind of a good thing to be able to distract him when he is crying. But aren't we somewhat the same? Distracted? by things other than the gospel and and taking our eyes off of the gospel. A lot of times they are good things that distract us. Many of us can say that one day we have been serving each other or serving others out of gratitude for the gospel, out of gratitude for what God has done for us. And then the next day we find ourselves serving others to replace the gospel. Or in other words, to earn our way to God. Richard Lovelace, a theologian, puts it this way. He says, while Christians know intellectually that their justification is the basis for their sanctification, in their actual day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for justification, drawing their assurance of acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of their conscious, willful disobedience. In other words, what Lovelace is saying here is that we have a tendency to get distracted by what we do for God and mistake it for what earns our position with God. We take the things that we do out of response to the good news of the gospel and say that that is now what saves us. 
Again, these aren't bad things that distract us. Good works are good things. But what happens is that sometimes we get pulled off course and begin to think that they are the key to our relationship with God. They're good things, but they don't save us. The gospel saves us. Another thing that can distract us today from the gospel is progression. While many, while few of us would probably admit it, uh, we have a tendency, if we aren't intentional about reminding us ourselves of the gospel, we have a tendency to think that as we grow in our relationship with God, that we no longer need the gospel. Again, none of us would say it out loud unless you're like me when I was a Christian for two months. I remember I was in a Bible study, and we had been encouraged to break into small groups and say, what was God's spirit convicting us of? And I was the first one to share, and I said, you know what? can't really think of anything. I got this Christian life all figured out. And I probably should have known that I was saying something wrong by the stares that I was getting in this group. But everyone was respectfully silent, and the next person shares and says, you know what? I'm struggling with pride. I'm like, ooh, me, me too. Next person shares, you know what, I'm struggling with lust. I'm like, ooh, yeah. I'm struggling with idolatry of of placing too much value in this thing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, why are these people just convicting me through the Holy Spirit? And on and on and on. And, And none of us probably would reach the same point that I foolishly did back then. But subconsciously, if we're not intentional about reminding ourselves of the gospel, we can think that we have moved past it. Honestly, this is where the source of lukewarm faith comes from. If you have ever gone through a season where God seems further from you or seems distant from you, if you've ever gone, from, gone through a, a time where you just feel like you're stuck in a rut in your spirituality, it's possible that it finds its roots in the belief that you have progressed past the gospel. You've progressed past what God has done for us. If we're not careful, we can have a tendency to think that God has saved us And now it's time for us to walk on our own. And just like a small child trying to ride a bike without the training wheels for the first time, the result does not end well. One final thing that can distract us or or make us forget the gospel, and that is presumption. Presumption. If we are not intentional about reminding ourselves of the gospel, then we can presume upon the grace of God. If you have ever had the mindset that God will forgive me anyway, then you are guilty of presumption, of presuming upon the grace of God, of not truly understanding the grace of God, not truly remembering the grace that God has for us in the gospel. Friends, we are prone to forget And that is why it is so important for us to be intentional about remembering. In the Old Testament, there were many days set aside and many different ways set aside for Israel to remember what God had done for them, to remember their relationship with God. They knew that this was an important part of their life. And so they had countless feasts and festivals to remember God at work in their past. The Passover was a day set aside to remember God's salvation for them out of Egypt. The Feast of Booths was a time set aside to remember God's provision for them while they were in the wilderness. 
The Day of Atonement was a day to remember with sorrow the sins of their nation and to rejoice in the forgiveness of a gracious, wonderful God. But it wasn't just feasts and festivals that led to remembering. The Psalms are filled with stories and examples of of the people looking back at their past and saying, because God acted in this way, we have confidence that he will act in this way today. The Sabbath was another example, a time set aside each and every week to remember God and to remember what God had done for them. There were many different ways for Israel to remember God and remember their past, but probably the most common was the grain offering. Last week, we began a short series on Leviticus for Christmas. And if you, were here, if you weren't here with us last week, you probably are confused and maybe a little concerned about where we're going. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the five sacrifices in the book of Leviticus and looking at how those apply to our lives today. Last week, we looked at the burnt offering, and we saw that the burnt offering was the most common sacrifice in ancient times. It was a sacrifice of surrender. It was wholly consumed before God, and it was one of the ways that the people of Israel would become acceptable in God's sight. We saw that it uses, in in the description in Leviticus 1, it uses this word atonement, which refers to the restoration of of relationship with God. And so every time a burnt offering was offered, the people of Israel were saying, we need our relationship restored with you, God. And when they would offer up these animals for forgiveness, they were also symbolically offering up themselves to God. I think today in American Christianity, we have a tendency to separate these two things. We have a tendency to separate forgiveness and devotion. We say that forgiveness is for everyone, but devotion and whole devotion to God is only for the religious elite. It's only for the pastors and the missionaries and those who are working in the church and those who are volunteering in the church. But in ancient Israel, there was no distinction. There was no separation between the restoration of relationship and dedicating oneself to God. And that's what the burnt offering is about. It's a sacrifice of surrender. This morning, we open up to Leviticus chapter 2, and we look at the grain offering. And as we are exploring the grain offering, I think it can be summed up in just one short phrase, and that is this. The grain offering calls to mind the covenant. The grain offering calls to mind the covenant. Remember what this word covenant means. It is a reference to God's relationship with Israel. Right before this story, or this passage in Leviticus 2, God has spoken to his people on Mount Sinai. He has just saved them from Egypt, and he enters into a relationship with them. And here he says, I want you to remember this relationship. I want you to remember this salvation. I want you to remember who I am. And so here is a way to do that. And he gives them the grain offering. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Leviticus chapter 2. And we're going to start this morning just with a, a brief discussion of what the grain offering was. And for many Christians, 
today. I think we have a tendency when we think of sacrifice or, or offerings in the Old Testament, we have a tendency to think of animal sacrifice. And that isn't necessarily wrong. There are, after all, many different types of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, but it's wrong to think that every single type of offering was an animal sacrifice. An example of one that is not is this morning, the grain offering. The grain offering was literally just burning grain to God as a way of showing commitment or or remembering uh, one's relationship with God. And as we look at Leviticus 2, we see there were several different ways to offer this. First, you could offer the grain offering uncooked. Take a look at verses 1 through 3. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. Notice there are several different parts in the grain offering. First, it was made of fine flour. This wasn't unworked or crude grain, but was something that was ready to be consumed, ready to be used by the people of Israel. Remember, God doesn't want dead ritualism for his worshipers. He wants worship to be intentional. And one of the ways that he makes sure it is intentional is by saying that it will cost Now, this isn't as great of a cost as we saw last week, but it is still a cost to offer up fine flour. And so someone would bring the fine flour forward, and then they'd pour oil on top of it. If you look at the Old Testament, we see that oil is something that is typically used when something is set apart for God. In the book of 1 Samuel, King David is anointed by Samuel. And oil is poured upon his head. It is saying that he has been set apart for service to God. And I think something similar is being said with the oil in the grain offering. It is set apart for God. The next thing that we see is frankincense. And frankincense was an expensive incense uh, in the uh, ancient times. But it was also a sign of holiness and the presence of God. Last week, as we were beginning to look at Leviticus, we saw Leviticus is primarily about how an unholy people can live with an unholy God. And we saw that all of the stipulations and the purity laws are focused on this, on how an unholy people, Israel, can have a holy God live in their midst. In a way, the frankincense is pointing to this exact thing, that God is holy. And if we are going to live with him, we must worship him in a specific way. So that's the first way that offerings could be offered up. Uncooked, fine flour with oil and frankincense. But we also see that you could offer up a grain offering that was cooked. Take a look at verse 4. When you burn a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. If you were going to cook it, you could bake it in, the, uh, in an oven, which was essentially a clay pot that you would put in the fire in those days. And, and I don't want to over-trivialize this, but this is like the modern-day saltine cracker, is what is being referred to here. This is one of the ways that you could offer up a grain offering to God. Another way is described in Leviticus 2.5. 
And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a, f- a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it into pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. So again, you could bake your offering on a griddle. This was, uh, again, not wanting to over-trivialize this. This is like a, a not-sweet pancake that would be offered before God. At least it would look like a pancake. Another way is found in verse 7. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. This was baked on a pan in oil. This was fried bread that is being described here. And and again, modern day equivalent would probably be a mini donut hole or something along those lines. And what it is important for us to notice is, is what is said here about these offerings and how they're received. Or maybe more specifically, what isn't said here. Notice that God receives every single one of these offerings the exact same way. It doesn't make any difference to God whether the offering is cooked or whether it's uncooked. What matters is the heart of the person who is worshiping God and offering up the grain. Leviticus 2 shares one final way to offer up a grain offering. That's found at the end of the chapter in verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall burn as a memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. At the beginning of the chapter, we saw that you were supposed to make the grain offering out of fine flour, but an exception is given if this is an offering of first fruits, if it is a way of worshiping God with the first of your harvest, and you would be able to bring it forward as a raw, uncrushed grain, and you would crush it before the altar and roast the ears before God. There are many ways to offer grain offerings but all resulted in the same purpose. They were calls to remember God. You might be saying, well, Jordan, why do you say that? First, take a look at Leviticus 2, verse 2. This is what it says here. And bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Unlike the burnt offering, where all of it is offered whole, Only a portion of the grain offering is actually burned. And this is a portion called the memorial portion. We're going to get into what that means in just a few moments. But first, it's important for us to recognize the name memorial. It's a sign of remembrance. Next, notice that there's no leaven that is allowed in the offering. Take a look at verse 11. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. That might sound weird. After all, why is it that leaven is forbidden? Why is honey forbidden? What's going on here? Well, to understand this, all we have to do is is understand the nature of leaven and what it symbolizes in the Old Testament. Leaven works through the process of fermentation, and so it's literally through the death and decay of one object that bread is allowed to 
rise. Of course, decay and death are the opposite of the holiness of God. And that's why leaven in the Old Testament is used to symbolize rebellion. As a sign of rebellion against God. That's why leaven isn't allowed on the altar. It's not because it's intrinsically bad, but because of what it symbolizes. It symbolizes death. It symbolizes decay, and it symbolizes rebellion against God. Leaving out leaven from the altar was a way of remembering Genesis chapter 3. It was a way of remembering the entry of death into the world. It was a way of remembering the great cost of rebellion against God. Death resulted from sin, and distance resulted from rebellion. See, not only was leaven used to refer back or help people remember the first rebellion against God, but it was also used to help people remember their own rebellion against God. The people of Israel were guilty of rebelling against God, and so every single time they left leaven out, they were reminding themselves of the great cost of sin and the great requirements of following God. Finally, notice one last thing. Notice that salt is required on the offering. Take a look at verse 13. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Again, you might be wondering what on earth is going on here. What is the big deal about salt here? What does salt of the covenant with your God mean? Why was salt required? In ancient times, salt was a commodity. It was oftentimes used as a currency, and it was the only known preservative before refrigeration, especially in a place where it didn't get too cold all that often. Covenant agreements or or treaties between different nations would often use salt as a way to seal the covenant. And so what is being done here is that God is using salt as a way of sealing the covenant with Israel. You see, salt is a preservative, and so it is a sign of the great permanence of the relationship that has just been established. It is of great value, and so it is a sign of the great seriousness of what has just been agreed upon. To use salt on the grain offering is to call to mind the covenant with God. Call to mind the salvation that God has worked for the people of Israel. As I mentioned, the grain offering is a call to remember. But you might be saying, well, what what does that mean for us today? How how can we apply this as Christians? I think that there are really three areas, and we just looked at them. So let's just let's just look at these a little bit more briefly. First memorial, second leaven, third salt, and see if we can bridge the gap. First, grain offering called to mind God. A grain offering called to mind God. The memorial that is referred to here, the memorial portion, was to remind the people of who God is. In the Old Testament, God reveals himself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then this is the same God who who chooses Moses to be his instrument of salvation for the people of Israel. And after saving Israel and entering into relationship with them, he describes himself to Moses in Exodus 34. He says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, 
The Lord, the Lord, a God gracious, or a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is what the grain offering is meant to call to mind. It is a time to set aside and remember to combat this gospel amnesia that we all struggle with, to remember God. And so we start with remembering God. We remember that God is holy, that he will not tolerate unholiness in his midst. The feeling of awe and insignificance that we get when standing before the Grand Canyon or before the Rocky Mountains, or before the ocean, pales in comparison to the sense of awe and and insignificance and dread that comes before standing before God. We must remember God's holiness. We must also remember God is gracious. God, but for no other reason than His grace, chose to bear with with our rebellion. And offer us grace instead. God has not turned his back on you, his children. God does not forsake you, even though you are guilty of rebelling against him multiple times today already. God is gracious. But we also must remember that God is just. Even though God is gracious, he will not allow his holiness to be disgraced forever. There is a day when those who are responsible for the attacks in Paris will be held responsible. <clears throat> there will be a day when those who, are held, will, those who are responsible for the attacks in Syria will be held responsible. Injustices throughout the earth will be answered for. Racial violence here in the United States, the murder of the police officer in Colorado earlier this weekend, All will be answered for because God is just. We must first remember who God is. We remember God's holiness, his grace, his justice, but also his power, his wisdom, his love, his mercy, and more. And grain offerings in the Old Testament were meant to do that. Let us do the same. Second, we see that grain offerings call to mind the past. They call to mind the past. Earlier, we made this connection between leaven and between rebellion in the garden. And for Israel, this is a way to remember the consequence of rebellion. Not just of rebellion in the garden, but every single moment of every single day when they have rebelled against God. In the same way, it is important for us to remember our rebellion. To remember our past. Yes, it's important to remember the fall. It's a good place to start when trying to make sense of the world. But even more so, remember who you once were. Remember what you once used to do. Remember how you have been transformed by the grace of God as he works in you. Remember your temper. Remember how you used to blow up at the smallest things. And even though your temper still may flare up every now and then, it is a far cry from what it once was. Remember your selfishness. How you used to only think of yourself. And you may still be battling that same selfishness. But you are now 
seeing the fruit of God in your life. Remember the source of your identity, how you once looked to other people for approval. You once looked to success in this world, once looked to how you looked in this world for your identity. And even though you may still struggle with it, even more every day, you find your identity more rooted in Christ. Remember your past and remember the transformation that God has worked in you. And finally, the grain offering calls to mind God's salvation. It calls to mind God's salvation. For Israel, the covenant of salt came right after God had saved them from Egypt. And by putting salt on the grain offering, it was a reminder of the miracle of salvation from Egypt. Let us also remember our great salvation as well. There is no such thing as an unmiraculous salvation. An unmiraculous conversion. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that all of us are spiritually dead before Christ comes and saves us. Anytime someone raises from the dead, it is a miracle. Remember your miraculous conversion. Remember the God who is. And remember who you once used to be. And put those two together and remember what God has done for you. Remember your conversion, but also remember the way that God is at work in your life right now. Think about the ways that God has answered your prayers. Think about the ways that God has deepened your relationship with him. Think about the ways that God has made you more and more like him over time. That's the purpose of the grain offering. And today, let us do the same. Let us remember God. Let us remember our past, and let us remember our salvation. That's what it means that the grain offering calls to mind the covenant. It is a built-in reminder system for Israel to remember their relationship with God and to remember all that it means for them. So you may be wondering, well, what exactly does remembering, why, why is it any good? What does it do for me? How, how is it important to my faith? If we're intentional about remembering, if we're intentional about fighting off our gospel amnesia, I think it leads us to three responses. First, it leads us to thanksgiving. How appropriate today. Remembering who God is, remembering our past, and remembering what God has done for us leads us to thanksgiving, to living thankful lives. I think one of the greatest reasons why we are not thankful for all that God has done is because we don't remember it. We don't see it. We take it for granted. That's one of the reasons why we're not aware of how God is at work in our lives today. It's because we're not looking for it. Remembering leads to thanksgiving. From the foundation of thanksgiving, we see a second response, and that is confidence. Remembering leads to confidence. Remembering who God is, Remembering that the ways that God has worked in the past gives us confidence that God will work today in the exact same way. Jeremiah 31 has this beautiful, wonderful promise of the unchanging nature of God and, and his promises. It says this, Israel, after being led into exile, is wondering whether God has forsaken them. And in, in Gen, or, excuse me, Jeremiah 31, God points to the Son. And he says, 
the next time the sun fails to rise, then you will know that I have forgotten you. Of course, the logic or the implication of that is every single day that the sun doesn't fail to rise, every single day that the the sun is up, and we see light on the face of the earth, it is a reminder to us that God is the same, that God is unchanging, that God still continues to care for his children. And this gives us confidence that God has worked in one way in the past, and God will continue to work in the same way today. If you want to know why you're not confident in God showing up in your life, it's probably because you don't have confidence or don't remember the ways God has shown up in your past. A wonderful book uh, that I I just loved reading was called A God-Sized Vision. It's by one of my professors in seminary, and he looked at the ways that God uh, worked in society in the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, and the 1900s, and how he inspired revival in the midst of some of the most secular locations, including Yale. And he wrote this book for the sole purpose of saying if God worked that way in the 1700s, we should expect that God can work the exact same way today. Do that on a personal level. Look at your own life. Look at the ways that God has worked in your own life and have confidence that God will continue to work in your life today. That's the second response. Third and final response, once we are thankful and once we have confidence in God, it ultimately leads us to God-glorifying living. Leads to God-glorifying living. This is the result of the first two, a life that honors God. When we combat our gospel amnesia, we see the foundation for a holy life. A life that honors God. A life that God looks upon and smiles. Honestly, that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Leviticus, if you were here last week, we saw that it is ultimately about holiness. The word holiness is used almost a hundred times in this short book. It's all about living a holy life and living in relationship with a holy God. And that's what remembering leads to. It leads us to living a holy life. You see, I'm a, I'm a cynic by nature. I have a tendency to uh, look at the world with skepticism, to look at the world with doubt. It takes a conscious effort on my part to look at the ways that God is at work in my own life and to be thankful about those. And maybe you have the same struggle. Maybe you look at the world through a pessimistic lens. And so I want to just challenge you with a a challenge that Crystal and I started uh, a a couple weeks ago. And that is this. Every night this week, I want you to answer the question either by yourself or with your family or however— Take some time and answer the question, how did you see Jesus today? How did you see Jesus today? It forces you to remember. It forces you to think about God. It forces you to think about God, how he's at work in your life, and what you can be thankful for. It forces you to look at the ways that God is at work in the lives of those who are around you. And how you can be thankful for them. It is a breath of fresh air in the midst of our cynical culture. It reminds us that God is still at work today. 
So let us remember God at work. The grain offering is a call to remember the covenant. It points us to God in gratitude. It points us to God in confidence. And it leads us forward to living a holy life, honoring God. Let's pray. God, I I thank you for the significance of the grain offering. And I just, I thank you for the importance of remembering you at work in our lives. God, we want to pray for forgiveness for the times that we have a tendency to forget you, forget the gospel, forget how you're at work in our lives. I want to ask for forgiveness for the ways that we tend to trust ourselves rather than you and the salvation that you have for us. God, help us to remember. And as we remember, help us to respond to you in thanksgiving and gratitude. Help us to respond in confidence that you will continue to work in our lives and you are working in our lives even now. And God, help us to live lives that are honoring to you, growing more and more like you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.